everybody here today? Everybody doing all right? See you here today. If, if you are brand new, I want to introduce myself. My name is Mark, and I'm the lead pastor here. We're just excited to have you here. Now, if you are new today, um, we have a free gift for you, and all you need to do is fill out the connection card that's either on the back of the seat in front of you, around you, somewhere. If you are brand new, uh, we would love just to put that gift in your hand. Take your connection card at the end of service to the welcome area, or if you've been coming just for a little bit, and I've never met you for one reason or another. I'll be out at the welcome area around there after church. I would love to shake your hand, say hi to you, answer any questions you have um, about the church, that sort of thing. But we are excited to have you here with us today, all right? And um, now, it's a little bit crowded in here right now. Next week, we'll go back to our normal service times of 9.30 and 11.15, all right? So 9.30 is the first service, 11.15 is the second service, and so, uh, so you, next week, we'll get back to the normal schedule. Now, if nobody has told you yet, after church today, there's a meal, uh, and you're invited, all right, uh, the church doesn't normally smell like fried chicken, but I think that it should. It's really awesome. Like, I think we should, like, I would wear cologne like fried chicken. You know what I'm saying? It smells really good. And so you can, you're invited to stick around for that. Maybe you didn't know that. You didn't have plans. But, hey, if you don't have any plans at all, you're invited to stick around, have lunch here. All right, and uh, tell you what, I know John just prayed. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to ask Jesus to uh, wake us up and speak to us today, all right? So, so let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to move and to speak to us in, in, in whatever way he wants to today. Would you pray with me today? Holy Spirit, that's our prayer. Our prayer is to hear from you, and, and we just give this time to you, God. We, we, we surrender this time to you. This is not ours to hold on to, to... To, to hold on and plan it out in such a way that, that, God, we have to have things go our way and you can't step in and interrupt and you can't move and you can't speak. And, and God, we, we pray that, that you would have free reign here to do, Jesus, whatever you want to do and to say whatever you want to say. And, God, as we open up your word right now, I pray that you'd help us to speak, help us to hear what you are speaking to us, rather. I pray that, Jesus, you would help us to hear, not just with our minds, but with our hearts. And God, that today would change us. Today would cause us to live differently. Jesus, we, we don't really need to say, uh, just like we might say every single Sunday, well, we went to church. It's what we do every week. God, what we really desperately need is an encounter with you. And God, you brought us here to have that. You want to speak to every person here, to every man, woman, child, student, every one of us. God, you, you have something to say. Holy Spirit, help us to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen. I'm going to ask you to do something that might sound a little bit morbid. I don't know uh, if you think it will, but just hang with me for a second here. I, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine what people will say about your life when it's over. Because you know that's going to happen, right? Like when this life ends, people will talk about your life. They might even put a post up on Facebook about your life. I just want you to take a second and imagine what people will say about your life when it's over. What do you want them to say? Do, do you hope that they'll talk about how many Instagram followers you had? You know, that's all they'll talk about. You know, how many Instagram followers, Facebook, you know, follow, uh, friends you had, anything like that. Maybe, maybe uh, you hope that they're going to talk about how big your house was. How, many, how, how much money you had or how big the boat uh, you had was, what kind of car you drove, that you had the latest and the greatest thing, gadget, you know, maybe you took some great vacations. Is, is that what you want them to talk about? I don't know where you're at on the spiritual spectrum today. Maybe you come here every single week. Maybe today's your first time. You just smelled fried chicken in the air and the sin of it just drew you to this building today. I don't know what you believe about God, but here's what I just think that one thing we all have probably in common is every single one of us, no matter where you're at spiritually, everybody wants their life to matter. Everybody wants their life to have some kind of purpose. Most people want to live in such a way that when this life ends, the things that they live for don't. They, they just go on after us. And, and my question is, where'd that come from? Because we might have different answers for that, but I'm convinced that the answer for that is God. God wrote that on our hearts. And here's why God wrote that desire to have purpose and meaning for our lives on our hearts. It's because God wants us to live lives of purpose. Do you know that? God wants you to live a life of purpose. God wants you to live a life of meaning. And we get a glimpse of what that life would look like 
from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I think it's going to be on the screen here in just a minute. Go ahead and bring up that next verse there. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says this. Watch this. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he's talking to a guy named Timothy. Paul spent most of his life investing, pouring into a guy named Timothy. And look at this verse. It says, Timothy, the things that you've heard me say in your presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others also. Now, if you were at the midweek this past Wednesday, we talked about this verse just a little bit. Here's what stands out to me about this verse, though. This verse is exactly what we're talking about. This is the Apostle Paul. He's just sharing his heart, that his heart's desire is that he would live in such a way that literally what he lived for would go on generations. I mean, if you look at that verse, there are four generations in that verse that the Apostle Paul thinks that he can at least impact. He's not even going to know all these people. But look at this verse again. First is the Apostle Paul himself. And then Paul passed on what he learned to Timothy. Then he's telling Timothy to pass on what he learned from Paul to, look at this, pass it on in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust it to, entrust it to many witnesses. And then, and then after you pass it on to those witnesses... Here's the fourth generation. Pass that on to others who will be qualified to teach. So there's Paul, there's Timothy, then there's the other witnesses, then there's the other people that they will pass it on to, the people who can teach other people. And it goes on and on and on. Don't you want to live that way? I mean, you might not even know all these people, but, but to live in such a way that your life impacts generations. I mean, really, the idea here is that what God's done in our lives, church, we just can't keep it to ourselves, right? We can't keep what God has done. We can't keep what Jesus has done in our lives to ourselves. And, and look at me. Look at some of you are like, oh, I've been to church before. I know what kind of sermon this is. You can already smell it, right? Here's what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, listen, I don't, need, I don't really need to do that. Yeah, Jesus has done some things in my life, but I don't need to pass it on. That's what preachers are for. That's what other people are for. I don't need to pass on to other people what God's done in my life. Here's where that kind of thinking leads us. That kind of thinking leads us to headlines like this. Look at this on the screen. This is just from May 6, 2019, just a couple of weeks ago. Pacific Standard. It's a newspaper online, not a Christian one at all. Look at this. Generation Z is the least religious generation. Here's why that's a good thing. That's, written, that's not written by a Christian. They, and, they, and the whole point of that article is that religion makes people intolerant. So that it's, it's a really good thing that the upcoming generation is one of the least religious generations in history. Because religion makes people intolerant. No religion means we'll all be more tolerant. So religion is bad. Here's what you need to know. Generation Z. Generation Z is anybody born between the years of 1995 to 2015. That fit anybody in the room? If that's you, raise your hand. Anybody in here, raise your hand up really high. Born between 95, 2015. Several hands going up. Based on some of you are like, me, we know it's not. Um, if the data is true, listen to this. Parents, parents, check this out. Grandparents, check this out. I think everybody ought to care, but I think parents and grandparents will really care. If the data is true, then people who are born between 95 to 2015, Generation Z, the teenagers we have right now in this room, students coming up, they are, the, they are one of, if not the least religious generations on record. Do you hear what I just said? Here's another one. Watch this. It's not the only one. Christianity isn't catching on with Generation Z. Somebody said it. I don't know who said it. It, it. I've heard this so many times. I have no idea how to trace it back to. But somebody once said this. Christianity is always one generation away from dying. Because, here's how this works. Because somebody thinks it's somebody else's job to tell everybody else about Jesus. Oh, it's not my job to tell my kids about Jesus. That's the preacher's job. That's the youth pastor's job. Oh, it's not my job to tell my friends about Jesus. I'm not equipped. I've never been to seminary. That's somebody else's job. Listen, we, listen. We've lost this thing before. Did you know this? It's in the Bible. Moses. You know Moses, Charlton Heston, you know what I'm talking about? Moses, you read the story of Moses. Moses had a guy with him named Joshua. Everywhere Moses went, Joshua went. Everything Moses got from God, Moses passed it on to Joshua. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Joshua. But here's one of the things that stands out. Joshua never passed on from what we're told in the Bible. Joshua didn't seem to have a Joshua. You know what I mean? 
Joshua didn't seem to pass anything. Moses passed on to him to someone else. Moses never had a disciple, uh, uh, somebody he was investing in. He never passed it on. Subsequently, the entire generation of Israelites didn't pass on what they saw when God set them free from Egypt. They didn't pass on the things that Moses spoke to them at Mount Sinai. They thought it was going to be the priest's job or somebody else's job. And because Israel did not pass on the faith to their kids and grandkids, kids, you get a verse in the Bible like Judges 2.10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done in Israel. Show me a sadder verse in the Bible, right? Listen, if you don't think that's happening today, I need you to know before we give you a bunch of fried chicken, it's happening right now. Amen? Right? Right? Well, oh, oh, well, well, you know, everybody in Hazard knows about Jesus. Everybody in eastern Kentucky knows about Jesus. Somebody else will tell them, listen, what if we lose Jesus? Not like you lose a remote or your keys, right? But what if we just assume somebody else is going to tell them about Jesus? And what if they're assuming the same thing and all of a sudden we have a generation that doesn't know the Lord and what God has done in our lives, Right? So we're not talking about something that might happen. Apparently, we're talking about something that is happening before our very eyes. And so what we've been doing in this series is we have been talking about how as sheep, remember that if you've been coming to the series, if not, you can go back and check it out on the website or the app. We've been talking about how Jesus' people are sheep. And the closer we get to Jesus, we will care about the things that the shepherd cares about. And we've seen almost every single week in this series that Jesus wept over people, specifically people who are far from God. And so what I want to do today, in just a few minutes, I want to be as clear and as practical as I can possibly be and just answer the question, what is the church supposed to be here for? What's the church supposed to do? What in the world are we supposed to be doing anyway as the church? So, so if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 28. Now, now, the words are going to be on the screen, okay? But, I, but if you have a Bible, would you just open it up on your phone or, or if you've got one? If you don't have one, there's one probably under a seat around you. You can take it home as a gift. But I want you to look at it on your own thing so you can take notes, write things down, that sort of thing, all right? But the words are going to be up on the screen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is where we're going to read here in just a second. These are probably really familiar verses for you, all right? So let's go ahead and read this. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this. This is Jesus talking. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. If you have a dictionary and you look up the word commission, commission just simply means a message or a task given to one as an agent of another. So think about this. This is called the Great Commission because Jesus isn't simply given a mission or a task to the disciples he was physically looking at. He's given a mission and a task to every single person who would ever follow Jesus for all time. So this is my mission, your mission as disciples. This is the mission of the church. So the church isn't free to make up its mission. The church isn't free to make up why it exists. We might put a little nuance on it and put a little spin on it the way we do. It's out there on a the wall, right? Transform people, transforming the world. But make no mistake about it, and it's simply this. The mission of the church is to make disciples. Did you know that? The mission of the church is to make Disciples. What is a disciple? Here's what, here's what that is. A disciple is just a follower of Jesus. That's all it is. And so the mission of the church is that disciples of Jesus, we're supposed to make other disciples of Jesus. We're supposed to help other people know and follow Jesus. So the mission of the church is to make disciples. My question that I want to try to answer this morning, just in a few minutes, is how do you do that? If that's the mission, make disciples, we're disciples, we're supposed to make more disciples. How do you make a disciple? I mean, is it like gremlins, you get us wet and we multiply? How does this work, right? How do you make, some of you get that, and if you get that, you are blessed of the Lord. Some of you looked at your neighbor like, what just happened? 
right? God's chosen people know what that illustration meant, all right? How do you make a disciple? If you're taking notes, write this down. Making disciples starts this way. It starts, one, with prayer. It starts with prayer. Making disciples starts with prayer. And here's why. Last week, if you were here, we preached on hell. That was the whole sermon. The whole sermon was about hell. And I don't know what you did last week. I don't know. Maybe you went out and you led all your friends to Jesus because we talked about how to step into eternity apart from Jesus means we spend eternity without him. Maybe that sermon so motivated you. You went out this week and you led all of your friends to Jesus and baptized them in your bathtub and now you've got a church in your house and praise the Lord for it. Or maybe you shared the gospel with your coworkers, that sort of thing. I don't know what you did after we talked about that last week, but can I just tell you what I've experienced working in churches. My experience working in churches for quite a while is that telling people to tell people about Jesus doesn't make anybody tell anybody about Jesus. Right? Do you know that? Telling people to tell people about Jesus doesn't make anybody do anything. Preaching a sermon on hell doesn't make anybody do anything. So when we say it starts with prayer, here's why we say that. Because Summit, listen to me guys, if we're going to take Jesus' mission seriously, if we're going to take the idea that people really do step into eternity either with Jesus or without him, if we're going to really take that message seriously, Summit, we need God to do a work in our own hearts first. Amen? Man, I, I need God to do something in me. We need God to do something in us because, listen, I'm going to say something that's hard, but I think that we can handle it. The church today, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, all right? I'm putting myself in this category. We have become really good at making consumers instead of disciples. Do you know what I mean? We have become very good at making consumers instead of disciples. So here's what happens. Here's what we mean. What we mean is we come to church with a list of things that we're looking for. Do we not? Come to church with a list of things that we're looking for. Even when we're looking for a church, we have this phrase. What is, what is it called when you're looking for a church? Church what? Shopping. Right? I'm church shopping. You know? Right? But we have a list that we're looking for. I'm looking for a band that's good, that, that really inspires me, sounds good. You know, so I'm looking for a good band. I'm looking for a preacher, you know, who's really compelling, who's really inspiring, can keep my attention, and also very handsome. And so that joke is never as funny as you act like it is. And I'm looking for a kid's department that's like Disney but free. I'm looking for a student ministry that will just blow my students' ever-loving mind. They will be stunned. And I am looking for all of these things. And here's what the church, I'm a preacher, all right? Here's what the church has done in response. Oh, well, if that's what you want and you will come because of that, we will do that. Right? It's as if an entire generation of pastors saw the movie Field of Dreams. I don't know where all these 80s references are coming from. The Spirit of God is, it's the Holy Ghost. And... So field of dreams, right? You know, you build it, they'll come. That's why, and we thought church worked the same way, right? So, so an entire generation of pastors, preachers, church leaders, listen, if that's what'll get you to come, we'll do that. So if you'll like it one time, maybe you'll come back next week. And we've gotten very good at making consumers instead of disciples. Say, so what's the difference? Here's the difference. Consumers, remember the first week of the series? consumers don't like to carry their cross and die to their sin, right? And isn't that what the whole first part of this series was about? That Jesus calls the sheep to follow the shepherd. What's that mean? Carry your cross and follow me. What happens on the cross? We die, right? We don't want to do that. We want to avoid that. What's the difference between a consumer and a disciple? A disciple has to carry their cross. A disciple's got to die to their sin. A disciple has to say no to the flesh consumerism is easier and so we've gotten really good at making a generation of consumers rather than disciples and so we need God to do something in our own hearts that's why listen to me we talk about revival a lot we pray for revival a lot can I just tell you if God genuinely sent revival to the church today it would not start out there in the streets it would start in the church among the people of God because God would wake us up and then we would go out into the streets right it would start in the house of God so, so it starts with prayer because I need Jesus to wake me up to this. 
that I'm not building my own kingdom because if I am at the end of the day, one kingdom stands and Jesus' name is all over it. So it starts with prayer. God, do a work in my heart. But then it goes to praying for other people. So it starts with prayer. Prayer for us. Prayer for me. Prayer for us. And then it goes to praying for other people. Praying for other people what? Praying that people who don't know Jesus would be saved. Praying that lost people would be saved. Praying that people we don't know, we, we know rather, who don't know Jesus, go into God, and here's how to do that. Here's how to do that if you don't know. Just to simply go to God and say, God, I pray that you would save my husband. I pray that you would save my wife. I pray that you would save my kids. I pray that you would save my boss, my, my co-workers, my friends. God, I pray that you would save my fill in the blank. And listen, if you are praying that prayer, do not stop until God moves. Don't pray that prayer one week and say, I prayed for them three years ago. Listen, I've prayed for people for literally nine, ten years, and then that's when God broke through, right? So, so if you're praying that prayer, do not stop praying that prayer. But listen, if you're not praying that prayer, I want to challenge you to start. To pray for lost people. Think about it like this. This is so practical. This is so practical. If you're on a team right now, okay, I don't know what team you might be on. If you're on a team, you know, Baseball, basketball, football, soccer. If you're on some kind of team at all, track, doesn't matter. If you're on the academic team, it doesn't matter. If you're on a team of any kind, would you begin to pray that God saves everyone on your team? Hello? Amen? Amen? Listen, and I hope you get that scholarship, and I hope you go pro, and I hope we watch you on TV, all right? Try to go that route if God's given you the gifts. Run it, run it all day long. But listen, would you pray that God saves everyone on your team? And be open to the possibility that God might want to use you to lead them all to Jesus. Hello? Hello? Wherever you work, would you begin to pray for your coworkers? And maybe a couple of you work in the same exact place, so get together. Maybe you, maybe you can physically do that at your job, or maybe, you know, kind of send prayer requests back and forth, phone, online, or anything like that. But would you begin to pray for your coworkers that the people that you work with would know Jesus, would be saved? And would you be open to the possibility that God might want to use them to lead them to Jesus? Use you to lead them to Jesus. If you have lost family members... Would you begin to pray that God would save your family members? I got saved when I was 18 years old. I'm 41 right now. I know that's shocking because I look like I'm 13. Uh, again, it's not that funny. But man, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. My family's right here. My mom will say the same thing. I got saved when I was 18. And still to this day, I'm praying for family members that I started praying for when I was 18 that God would save them. Is God working on their life? Honestly, I have no idea. They don't even live around here. I don't see them regularly. Am I going to stop praying for them? Absolutely not. Because I got a God in heaven that he's not limited geographically. Amen? God doesn't need me to be around. They don't need to see me. I got a God in heaven with connections. All right? So I'm not going to stop praying just because I don't know what's going on with them. I don't even physically see them maybe in a day or maybe even in a year. But I know they need Jesus. So it starts with prayer. God, would you save them? Would you save so-and-so? It starts with prayer, but eventually it moves on to the second part. And that second part is share. Share what? Share the gospel. So it starts with prayer, but then it moves to share the gospel. So it's sharing that God made us all. God's our creator, that we've sinned, that Jesus lived a perfect life, died and came back from the dead. And if we give our lives to him through repentance and faith, we'll be saved. Listen, church, that's the gospel. And we need to share the gospel. And I know that when we begin to talk about this, right, we're talking about evangelism. I know when we, begin, we start to talk about this, it starts to freak some people out when you talk about evangelism, right? Some of you, you, know, you know, kind of look like you're hyperventilating, getting nervous. And here's a couple of reasons why. One reason why people get nervous about sharing their faith is because, one, and I hear this all the time, they don't know how to start that conversation. They don't know where to start. Well, one of the things that we tried to do, uh, we tried to do several things to make it easy to try to help you put tools, resources in your hand. In everybody's seat today, there was an invite card to church. Why did we do that? We did that because invite cards are a really simple and easy tool for you to use, friends, family, and coworkers. Hey, come to my church. Hey, come and check out my church. Hey, you're going through something. Hey, I, you should come, check, uh, come to my church. They talk about this kind of thing. So that invite card is a really simple 
way to begin to share your faith and maybe turn a conversation to Jesus. Another way to share your faith? Another way to share your faith is just to share your story. Share your story about how Jesus has changed your life, about how God has worked on you, about how your life, what your life looked like before you met Jesus, then how you met Jesus, and then what Jesus has done in your life since. I'll give you another way, and I think this is very powerful. I, 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 this has been something God's used uh, for me that I've seen a lot of fruit in. I'll tell you this. When people are talking to you about their problems and pain, when people are talking to you about their problems and pain, that is a potential open door to step through and begin to share with them how Jesus helped you when you walk through a problem or when you walk through pain. Because I am just telling you that our problems and our pain, a lot of times, they're open doors for us to begin to share Jesus with other people. I mean, think about it like this. My hand is up. My hand is up. I got saved when I was senior in high school, same day that a really good friend of mine uh, died in a car accident. How many of you met Jesus, gave your life to Jesus through some kind of trial, tragedy, something happened? Raise your hand. Anybody else? Look at this. Look, at hands are going up all over. A lot of you are shaking your heads. Yeah. See, what happens is our problems and pain, a lot of times they can be open doors where God starts to soften our hearts and we can just step through and let God use us. Another thing that I hear all the time is people say, Mark, I don't know what to say. I share the gospel, but Mark, I, I don't even know what to say. And here's the thing. There's all kinds of different gospel presentations. Later on today, I'm going to get on Facebook. We'll send out an email of different gospel presentations that you can use to help you share Jesus with your friends. But here's the thing. Don't, don't think of like gospel presentations or sharing the gospel like some sales pitch you're trying to give somebody, you know? Has anybody ever tried to give you some kind of sales pitch? You know, and they, you know they don't really care about you. They just want you to buy their product. A lot of times that's what we think evangelism feels like. We're just trying to sell Jesus as a product. So here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Gospel presentations, learning how to share the gospel. But really the goal isn't to learn it like it's some sales pitch. The goal is to get so familiar with elements, parts of the gospel that we can use it in any conversation where we are, that we're in where an open door might, might open where we can share the gospel. So it's not just we're using some sales pitch. We're trying to get so familiar with the gospel that we can try to use it in almost any conversation. You say, Mark, how do you do that? Here's how you do that. If you're taking notes, write this down. When you think about the gospel and you're talking to people, there's four big ideas to get across when we're talking about the gospel. All right? Four big ideas to get across we're talking about the gospel, and here they are. God, man, Jesus response, all right? You don't have to share all of this in a conversation, but as Christians, we ought to get so familiar with the gospel that saved us. If God opens a door, we can share it in any conversation, amen, right? If God saved us with the gospel, we ought to know it so that we can share it with other people. God, man, Jesus response. Here's what that means. God, God's our creator. God created all of us. Why? Because he wants a relationship with us. But the problem is man. And what did man do? Man sinned. We sinned against God. We said, God, no, I don't want your ways. I want my own ways. And we turned away from God. Now, when you're thinking about sin, here's a couple of ways to think about sin. One is sin is doing what God said not to do, right? Everybody pretty much relates to that. But another way to think about sin is that sin is living for anything other than God. And the thing about sin that we all ought to know is that sin is the reason that everything in the world is broken. See, everything, every single bit of brokenness in my life, your life, in the world can be traced back to Genesis 3. The reason that's a big deal is because when people are talking to us about our problems, their, their pain, it doesn't matter what that brokenness is, guys, it always goes back to Genesis 3. Marriage problems, financial issues, depression, anxiety. My, my parents are getting divorced. My kids are going down a road that I don't know what to do. Any kind of brokenness that touches our lives, guys, it traces all the way back to that original rebellion where man looked at God and said no. So man sinned. But here's the thing. God loves us so much in our sin that he sent Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life. People say all the time, I'm not perfect. I know, nobody's perfect. But Jesus was in our place. And not only did he live for us, he died for us. Came back to life for us. And if we repent and believe in Jesus, we can become followers of him and have the assurance that we'll live with him forever. Because listen, the gospel always demands a response. So it's God, man, Jesus, 
response. God created us. Man sinned. Jesus died for us. What are you going to do? Because you need Jesus in your life. God, let's all say it together. Let's all say it together. God, man, Jesus, response. God, man, Jesus, response. Here's the thing. I know that evangelism can be scary a lot of times, but I love this quote. I don't know who, got, who where it comes from, comes from, but I love this quote. It says this. Evangelism is joining in on a conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with somebody. Does that make sense? Man, most of the time when I end up sharing Jesus with somebody or you do it, you know who's already been there first and working in their lives? The Holy Spirit. He's already been talking to them. He's already been drawing them. You're not the first on the scene. Usually God is. But here's what I believe. And this, and this might be new for a lot of you. One of the things we have to know. So Jesus, going back to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples. But here's what we've got to understand. Receiving Jesus isn't the end. It's the beginning. Let me say that again because that was really huge. Receiving Jesus isn't the end. It's the beginning. So Jesus says this. Look at the verse here again, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Look at this. Baptizing them. Think about baptism like the very first step you ought to take after you give your life to Jesus. Baptism doesn't save anybody, but what baptism does is baptism says to the world and everybody there that Jesus has changed your life and you want to live for him for the rest of your life. So baptism is the very first step, but then look at what Jesus says. Verse 20, teaching them. It's not really a class, really. It's lifelong following Jesus. It's, it's, it's growing in our relationship with God. And here's the thing. We did this on Wednesday night at the midweek, but let's do it with everybody here right now. Is there anybody here who's a follower of Jesus and you would say, you know what, there is somebody, probably a lot of different people, but there's somebody or a group of people that God used in my life to help me become the person, follower of Jesus, that I am today. If that's you, would you put your hand up right now? Look at that. Look at those hands. Here's what you need to know. Those people, whether they realized it or not, discipled you. Maybe it was intentionally. Maybe they said, hey, let's start getting together for lunch. We just read the Bible together. Maybe they sent you a text message. Maybe they called you. Maybe they checked up on you at church. But here's what happens. Those people, whether they realized it or not, discipled you. And I want our entire church to know that everything we're talking about this morning, you can do this. You can lead your family to Jesus. You can lead your friends to Jesus. You can lead your team, your co-workers to Jesus. And you can help them grow as followers of Jesus. Amen? Some of you are like, amen. Here's why. Here's why. You don't have to go to seminary to do this. You don't have to have a Bible degree to do that. All you need is the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he is alive inside of you. And I am telling you, if you would take a step of faith, then watch how God would give you the words to say. Watch how God would use you in people's lives. Our whole church has everything we need right now to do everything God wants us to do because the resources aren't in our it's in the power of God and he lives in us amen the Holy Spirit lives in us so here's the thing you can do this you can do this every student can do this every mom can do this every dad can do this every grandparent can do this every adult can do this God can use you to make a difference in other people's lives and lead people to meeting Jesus and following him for the rest of their life and here's what I believe and here's why we do this series why we're starting to do this series every year because I believe that every person in hazard has got to hear the gospel Do you believe that? You should check yourself. Because maybe you just thought that the church existed to entertain you. So are you entertained? Because I don't need Jesus to entertain me. Right? This should scare us. The church... The church, the big C church. It is extremely easy for the church to figure out a way to do church without Jesus. What do you want? Then I will give it to you. And I don't need to make a disciple to do that. Do you believe that? Do you believe? Man, you got to know this is true, Summit. You got to know 
that this is true. So every single one of us, we all can do this. In fact, this is exactly what God is calling us to do. Every person in hazard has got to hear the gospel. Every one of them. And don't assume that because you can't throw a rock and not hit a church here, that everybody has. Amen? Because listen, as I talk to people, listen, if you think that hazard is reached, that we're all Christians, because I've talked to people who think that, right? It's a Christian community, right? We all know Jesus. Everybody here is following Jesus. Well, then why do we have the addiction issues we have? Amen? Why are churches so split? Gossip, division, hello? Can we talk? Can we get real this morning? I smell fried chicken. I feel freedom this morning, right? Come on. Here's the thing. In the Bible Belt, we have just enough religion to cause us to miss Jesus. Do you understand that? We have just enough religion to help us to miss Jesus. Oh, I prayed that prayer once. Yeah, but you were 10. You're 50. If the only proof that I have of me being married is the day that I got married, brother, I am in trouble. Hello, right? I ought to have some evidence right now. Hello, there ought to be something in it. If you are following Jesus... There ought to be evidence in our lives. Now, we have just enough religion to make us dangerous. People in Eastern, Eastern Kentucky need to know that being good is not good enough. If being good got us to heaven, we did not need Jesus to suffer and die and come back to life. He had to do that because all of my goodness isn't good enough. I'll never forget a couple of years ago, and it's just strange the thing that God just burns in my heart, right? We didn't even live around here. We hadn't even started Summit. We were at a church, we were at the church that we were at, Western Kentucky, before this. I was at a gas station getting gas, and this guy next to me, I think he was, I don't know who he was, but he was trying to share the gospel with me. He wanted to see, make sure I went to heaven, right? And he asked me, he said, are you a Christian? And I looked at him and I said, I'm a preacher. And then the Holy Spirit of God said, you moron. That's how God talks to me. You idiot! Because just because you're a preacher doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Did you know this? Right? Right? We've all been to churches where, like, is the preacher safe? Right? And, oh, well, my dad was a deacon. My granddad was a Sunday school teacher. I hear these things all the time. Oh, well, I was baptized. Listen, none of those things save you. Listen, here's math. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. You hear that? Jesus plus your baptism, Jesus plus your obedience, Jesus plus your fill in the blank always equals nothing. Because if I could do anything to save me, he didn't have to do anything. But he had to do everything because I couldn't do anything. There ought to be a gospel presence in every high school, middle school, and every school in our community. Amen? I'm going to pick on Jessica up here, right? So last year, Alex started a Bible study at Perry Central. Jessica Jones right up here in the front row. Wave, Jessica. She didn't know I was going to do this. I think if I'd have prepped you, I was going to do this. You'd have told me no, so I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Jessica started a Bible study at Perry Central when school year ended. How many did you have? By 18 or so, you said? By 18 students. They did not go to church, but they were coming to the library at Perry Central. When? When were you doing this? What day? Tuesdays or something like that? Thursdays? Every Thursday, they were coming to hear Jessica. What's she doing? She's teaching the Bible. She's preaching to these students. She's making a difference, man. Right? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know what that took? All that took, I'm picking on you. I'm picking on you. Don't, get, don't slap me out there in the lobby, you know? I told her before, I said, Jessica, I think what you're doing is the future. Because it's, it's normal people reaching their friends and family members, not preachers. Amen? It's normal people. It's all of us. And we'll talk about it next week. But here's what I love. What I love, what I love is she didn't say, you know what? I've never been to seminary. You know what? I don't have a Bible degree. Here's all she said. I'll do it. I'll do that. Because the only thing that God is looking for is availability. That's all he's looking for. The only thing that God is looking for is availability. If you will be available, why couldn't you reach your neighborhood? Why couldn't you just open up your, your house one night, have a Bible study, have some food, have some, have some people over? There's neighborhood subdivisions in our community. A bunch of summit people live in the same place. Come together, start something in your house. Why couldn't you reach where you work. Here's what I know. Here's what I know and then we're done. I know that the devil right now is running wild trying to tell you why I'm talking to everybody in this room except you. And I'm talking to all of us. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Hell has gates. 
Why does hell have a gate? If you're on offense, you don't put up a gate. Gate is all defense. Because hell is afraid that when the church realizes this is the mission and we are filled with the Spirit of God, the church will wake up and all hell can't stop it. Right? So the church, so, so hell has to have a gate because they're afraid that we're coming. And we've listened for a long time. And, and what we've listened to is this voice that says, Someone else will do it. That's what you have preachers for. I'm going to say it next week, and I'm a preacher. Preachers are not changing the world. They're, they're not going to. They're not going to, guys. Instead, it's available people filled with the Spirit of God who are just simply saying, God, I'll do that. I'll do that. And when the church realizes that, hell's gates better look out. So here's what we're going to do. Because this starts with prayer. So this is the way we're going to, now after this, we're going to get back to our seats. I got, a, I got a couple things that I want to do with us. But this starts with prayer. Prayer for our community and prayer, prayer for us that God would move in our hearts. And, and there's a lot of people here in this room today, so I can't tell you to, to join hands and make a circle uh, but can you join hands and make an a, uh, abstract shape? Uh, because we're going to make a prayer shape today in this room and pray that God would move in our community and first move in us. So I want everybody, if you can, if you're willing to, all right, if you can, stand up and kind of join hands with people around you. We might have to move to do this. I don't know how we're going to pull this off, all right? But I want us to come together just as God's people and pray this morning. So go ahead and join hands somehow. Connect. You might have to go to the aisle next to you so that we're all connected. There's plenty of hand sanitizer in the lobby. All right. I know, I know that you're nervous. I'm nervous as well. Let's step out by faith and trust here. All right. Everybody, all right. Here's what we're going to do here. All right. I just want to apologize to both of you. Uh, I'm a hand sweater, so my hands are gross, guys. So just come back next week, all right? Come back next week, all right? And so, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask us to pray for several things. You can pray silently. You can lift your voice out loud, however God leads you to pray this morning. But I want all of God's people, if you'd be willing to, I want you to, to pray. So let's just bow our heads. And first, as God leads you again, however God leads you, you just pray. But I want, you, I want us to pray first that God would send revival to our community. So let's pray as the people of God, then I'll come in in a moment. But you pray silently or out loud, however God leads. But let's pray for our community today. Father, we just pray for our community that, Holy Spirit, you would come and just like a rushing wind, like we see in the book of Acts, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would just blow and move over this community, Father, and that we would see it change in Jesus' name. God, that we would see addictions broken, that, God, we would see families restored. Father, that we would see people of all ages come to meet Jesus. God, we saw the headlines earlier in this sermon, and Father, we refuse to let that happen on our watch. We refuse to watch a generation go by not knowing Jesus, assuming that other people will do what you have saved and put us here to do. God, I pray that you would wake us up, God, that we would see that people around us right here need Christ, that they are lost, that this world needs Jesus, and so, Father, we pray for revival in our community. Not a man-made or planned one, but a spontaneous move of God that would impact generations. God, you have done it before, and you can do it again. 
And as we're just continuing to pray, Summit, it's not just going to be our church. It's going to be every church. So would you pray for every single gospel-preaching, believing church right now? Would you just pray for every single church that they would be filled with this vision, filled with power, filled with love, that there be unity among the churches and that we would represent the kingdom of God to this world. Would you just pray for the churches today? Father, we pray for the church. God, we pray for the church that regardless of what the name is on the door, Father, churches that are preaching Jesus. God, we are not the only one this morning preaching the gospel, seeing lives transformed. And God, I thank you for every church today that loves you. I thank you for every church that's worshiping right now. And Father, I pray that their leaders would be protected from everything the enemy wants to throw at them, that those churches would be united, and that all churches, regardless of what name is on the door, would be united. Jesus, you said that when, when, when we are one, the world will know that we're your disciples. God, would you make it happen? God, that's going to be one of the things revival looks like is that churches of all stripes and colors are going to come together and we're going to say that we're part of a bigger kingdom, one kingdom, and we all go out and represent that kingdom together. Because God, at the end of the day, it's not about one church, it's about Jesus and your glory. So God, would you do that in churches today? God, would you give us a heart for one another, love for one another, that we would lift each other up and that that when the world looks at us they would see our love and know God that you're real so finally church would you just pray that God would move in our own hearts let's ask God to wake us up let's even ask God let's just even repent of maybe even taking this and making it about us and our own comfort and just asking Jesus to do a work in our hearts again Oh, God, we need you. God, we need you today. Jesus, I pray that you would, God, forgive me for every single time that, Jesus, I've been thinking about making consumers and not disciples. God, I, I pray that you would, you would, Jesus, forgive me for when I forget the mission. It's so easy to just shift into the neutral of thinking about our own lives and our own desires. And, Jesus, you said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And a lot of times we can think that verse is just talking about money, but it's so much more. It's more blessed to live a life where we give it away. God, real life and purpose and fulfillment and joy is in living a life not for ourselves, but for you and for other people. So God, would you help us to do that? Just help us to live on mission today. God, break our hearts in ways that you've never broken it before, that there are people apart from you right now. Jesus, just like you wept, God, we want to weep. To be people that weep over the neighborhoods and schools and over this community, over our families. Jesus, one more time, one more time right now, we just put our hand to the plow again. And we, we, we commit to it again. There's too much on the line, there's too much at stake, and you are too good of a God to keep to ourselves. You are the fountain of living water, and there are people that need to drink. And God, that you would use us to take that water to the world. Not for our glory, but for yours. Father, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everyone by faith said, amen, amen, amen. Church, let's give God praise. Let's go back to your seats there for a second, if you would. We'll dismiss here in just a moment. Both guys that I was, both of y'all holding, I was, I was holding your hands. First thing, as soon as I said amen, I love what y'all did. Did you do? I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. I, saw that. I like it. I like it. Hey, man, it's been good to be here today. Um, the worst thing we could do is forget it and then go on like we didn't talk about this stuff today. Let's ask God to just continue to burn it in us. Set our hearts on fire with this. All right? Right now, we're going to receive our offering. So our ushers are going to get in place. 
men and women who are going to help us receive our offering today. I want to share something with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. This Thursday at 8 o'clock, uh, this Thursday at 8 o'clock, um, so parent, if, your parent, if your kids have signed up for this trip on Thursday, listen to this. Um, this Thursday at 8 o'clock, our student ministry is going to a student conference, joining students from all over the country in, in, uh, in Atlanta. And so a uh, so, uh, good group of students are going to Atlanta this Thursday, 8 o'clock. Woo, it's going to be awesome. Excited. And, uh, but here's, here's the thing. And I get this question all the time, and so I wanted to share it with you. Uh, people come and they ask all the time, Mark, is, is, there, is there something in the church that, that I can give to? What's a need in our church? And, and I always try to share this. Our church, one of the things I love, just has a heart for students, for the next generation, for kids. And um, if you today uh, want to give and help kids, help students on that trip, uh, go and just have the resources that our student ministry needs for that trip. Uh, so students, help them have the resources, resources they need to go on that trip. If you want to give to that today, you can do a couple things. You can come and see me. You can come and see Wes and Asina. I don't see Asina, but Wes, can you just put your hand up in the air real quick? There's Wes. And uh, if you want to, some people write a check, you can put that in the memo line. But if you want to give to that, you can come and speak to me, Wes, Asina. And there's Nadine. Nadine, would you put your hand up as well so people can do that for uh, that as well? But I get that question all the time. If you would want to give to that for our students for their trip this Thursday to Atlanta, um, see any of us after or you can just give put that in the memo section of your check this morning and uh, God bless you guys thank you so much for your generosity now here's why we give we give because of everything we just talked about today we give so that the mission can go forward and people can hear alright so whether you give here whether you give online God bless you for it let's pray and I want to ask you to sit tight real quick we're going to do something okay Jesus, I pray that you would take today's offering, this offering, God, is given here online, and you would take it, and that God's lives would be radically changed for eternity. Father, we'll hear, the, we'll hear the stories when we're with you of how you used it, but God, we give by faith today. So God, whether we give here, whether we give online, however it happens, Father, take what's given and use it so that men and women, children, students can hear the gospel and be changed forever. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Amen.